Hello, and welcome to another episode of Whole and Complete Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Shantae, and Whole and Complete is all about faith and wellness, loving God and living well. So listeners, we are at the end of the relationship series for the most part. We did a series on the relationship with food. We did a series on our relationship with money. And here we are in part two of our relationship with God. So for those of you who are just now coming to this podcast fresh, and this is the first episode you've ever heard, I'm going to encourage you to halt (laughs) and to go back to the first episode in this series, because this is a series based podcast. And sometimes when you come in the middle, you've missed all kinds of context from the first episode. And I'm going to tell you the truth. This was tough. It was tough. When I said that this was a massive undertaking, it wasn't just massive because the idea or ideas about God are just massive. I mean, just in terms of trying to wrap your mind around it. But it was tough because anytime you have to deliver some difficult truths or some difficult ideas, um, that is tender work. It is very tender work and you have to tread carefully and you have to tread lightly, but you also have to tread truthfully. And you guys know, I I keep it a buck on this show. I really do. Even I try to be diplomatic about it, but I I try to keep it 100. And it's funny, like I rarely um, get a chance to go back and read reviews, but I do remember reading one review. So whoever you are, (laughs) I saw it where somebody says she doesn't always say the nice thing, but she always says the right thing. It was something along those lines. And so this is kind of one of those episodes. So... Let's get into our guiding scripture, which will kind of be understood and come full circle towards the end of this episode. And it is from Exodus chapter three, 13 through 15. And this is Moses. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. And that is Exodus 3, 13 through 15. So what are we getting into today? We are getting into why we detach. So why we detach from God and that relationship. And we're going to be talking about two halves of life. So first container Christians and second container Christians. And for those of you who are like, what? Trust me, all will make sense by the end of the episode. So let's get into it. So to remind you, the definition of relationship that we've been using throughout all of these series is the way in which two people, two objects, or two concepts are connected. And in this case, the way two beings are connected. So how you are connected to God and how God is connected to you. And we talked about the ways in which we can become connected in our first part of this series. But today we're talking about how we become disconnected. Because the truth of the matter is sometimes we do disconnect. Sometimes we become disenchanted, disillusioned, and sometimes just downright disgusted with God. And one of the things that I hope becomes clear in this series is that the dynamics of our faith, of what we believe, are relational aspects. Those are relational dynamics. And whether that relationship is secure or it's in shambles or it's estranged or sometimey, depends on a lot of factors. And I want to spend some time today talking about what those factors might be, specifically disappointment, disenchantment, and despair. 
So disappointment is what we experience when our hopes go unfulfilled. There are things that we want in this life more than anything else. For some people, that is a family or a spouse or a certain opportunity or a job in a certain industry to be able to go certain places or work with certain people. For some of us, it's a desire to have our talents recognized in a significant and meaningful way. All kinds of desires in our hearts. And when we don't get them, you know, because the way that hope works is that there's always that kind of like initial excitement and and you lean into the process. But as time kind of wears on, OK, you know, as time kind of wears on and, and we don't get it and we don't get it and we don't get it. When we see other people with that thing that we so desperately desire, disappointment can absolutely set in. And when you're a believer that disappointment is compounded by the fact that, you know, you go to church or, you know, you listen to sermons or you hang out in the marketplace ministries and you hear things like you serve a God that says ask and you shall receive. And you sitting up there looking like, well, I've been asking where's my receipts. <laughs> okay. Like what's up with that? And th this is where this, these are the places where our faith really gets tested, right? If God loves us so much, why won't he just cough up the goods, right? And the answer to that question is way beyond my pay grade. So sorry about that. But what I can tell you is that I have been there. And here are some of the reasons that we don't get what we want when we want it. So sometimes that disappointment comes and we don't get what we want because we need to heal. And I think about in the Bible, the Samaritan woman. So the woman at the well, when Jesus met her, she had all, she was dealing with all kinds of shame issues and she had been dealing with all kinds of consequences based on choices that she had made in her life. And those consequences separated her from something that was very important at that, in that day, which was community. Okay. So her, her choices kind of ostracized her and made her an outcast in community. And I'm sure what she would have liked was to be accepted in polite society, was to be accepted by the mainstream and embraced by her people. But that was just not her situation. And so when she met Jesus at the well, he brought clarity and healing and didn't judge and didn't shame in her situation in such a way that after that encounter, she ran to the townspeople with a testimony on her lips. And so sometimes we don't have what we want because we need to heal. Sometimes we need to grow. So at my church, we're doing a really deep dive into Genesis and the life of Joseph right now. And Joseph, when he had this vision, this dream about how his brothers were going to, you know, kind of bow down before him and what have you, he was a teenager. I want to say like maybe like 17 ish. Okay. When he started having these types of visions about what his future was going to be. And you know, the story of Joseph, he, his brothers plotted to kill him, subsequently sold him into slavery. He got put in jail for crimes he didn't commit. I mean, Joseph had gone through some things, but Joseph also needed to mature and grow into the role that God had commissioned for him. And I know that a lot of people will say, well, dang, couldn't that have come another way? Like, did, did he have to get sold into slavery? Did he have to go to jail? Like, why'd have to come like that? Again, way beyond my pay grade. But those conditions positioned Joseph perfectly for ultimately what would become his destiny as the second in command in Egypt. And so 
as the Bible says, his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts because I'm sure we probably would have approached that way different. Sometimes we need to heal. Sometimes we need to grow. Sometimes we need to grieve. And so Hannah, before she gave birth to Samuel, honey, she had to let that thing out. She, she went to God and cried to the point where it looked like she was drunk. Okay. She was so overcome with disappointment of not being able to have a child and all of the things that she was dealing with back at home. And she needed to, to grieve. And, you know, the Bible says that when she got up, she got up with, with peace. She got up with clarity. She got up with a calm in her spirit. You know, she felt like God had, had answered her. And sometimes that needs to happen too. Sometimes we need to grieve the, the loss or we need to grieve the disappointment or we need to grieve some, some dynamics in our lives before we're ready for other new things to come into our lives. And so, and we can do a deep dive on grief. If you want to go back to the grief series and listen to her Dean Mercier's perspectives on that. So sometimes we need to heal. Sometimes we need to grow. Sometimes we need to grieve. Sometimes we need to learn. Okay. Sometimes we need to learn some lessons, some hard lessons. And so David King David, when you think about the story of David and Bathsheba, I mean, it's one of like adultery and murder and it's really scandalous. You know what I mean? And this, and he got her pregnant and got her husband killed and all of those things. And you know, God doesn't just wink at that kind of stuff. He's like, uh, you gonna pay for that. <laughs> you, you need to learn that I've exalted you as King, but you got a boss. You don't get to do that. You have a lesson that you need to learn. And went through a period of grief where that baby died and David was was overcome and, and rent with regret and remorse and all of those things. He had a lesson that he needed to learn from that. And ultimately, what came out of that was Solomon. So a lot of people don't realize that Bathsheba, the same woman that was seen bathing on the rooftop, became the mother of arguably the wisest king that ever lived, arguably the wisest king written about in the Bible. So Solomon was Bathsheba's child, but he did not come until David had some lessons that he had to learn. And then sometimes we need to trust. Okay. So sometimes we don't get what we want because we're not trusting, fully trusting. And I think about Moses's mother who had given birth to this child and how there was this edict to be killing babies in the land. And she just literally stepped out on faith, put her baby in the basket and trusted God. And lo and behold, she ended up becoming a wet nurse and ended up getting paid and compensated for raising her own child. Won't he do it? So, you know, it, all of these things, okay. All of these things can, can play a role, can play a factor, but you don't know that until it comes to be right until it, it, it manifests itself. And sometimes we don't get what we want because God has a totally different idea in mind. I was watching an ESPN documentary the other day about a young man. And I wish I could think of his name. I think it was Manny something, Manny Moore, Manny Morris, something like that out of Mississippi who had got drafted in that famous 1996 class from the NBA, which is the same class that had Kobe and Allen Iverson and Stefan Marbury and all of those people. And he said when he got drafted, God spoke to him and said, I got another plan for you. I, I let you have your dream fulfilled, but from henceforward, you will have no, no more love of this game. And so the day that he was supposed to report to training camp, he gave it up and became a minister of the gospel. And I was like, what? 
you know, like, think about that. Like, you just got drafted to the NBA. You think about all the work that you've put in to grind and hustle, all the games, all the back and forth, all the things, right? And you finally make it to the, to the, <laughs> to the altar of your destiny. And God is like, yeah, let's, let's talk. Calls an audible and was like, yeah, I got something else for you. Okay. So it's, it's all of those things. Disenchantment, on the other hand, disenchantment is different from disappointment, from disappointment. Disenchantment happens when you have an optimistic and you have a positive outlook about something or someone, and then you find out that it or they are not all that they are cracked up to be. Disenchantment is when you thought it was sweet and it turned out to be bitter. Disenchantment is when the church tells you to come as you are and then talk about you because your skirt is too short. Disenchantment is when they tell you that, you know, women can't preach in the pulpit. You know, God has created all of us equal and all of that. But then, you know, you women can't preach in the, in the pulpit or that you have to make it a public apology for getting pregnant or when church leaders are not held accountable, when you need help paying your bills and you get turned away. I mean, all kinds of things. A lot of the disenchantment that tends to happen with respect to our relationship with God tends to happen in the church. And I'm not going to do a deep dive into that today because there's a series for that too from season two uh, in Church Hurt. So go ahead and you can ruminate on that (laughs) in in a previous season. But something that I want to be crystal clear about is that church is church and God is God. Okay, the church is full of flawed human beings with a whole range of issues, prejudices, unresolved traumas and struggles. And so just bear in mind that that church is is church and and God is God. And even though church is the vessel that which God uses, one of the vessels that God uses to disseminate his word and to build disciples and to pray and all of those things, it's not the only place that you can find God. And I'm just going to leave that right there. But disenchantment also happens outside of the church, right? Disenchantment happens when you thought you found, quote unquote, the one, and it turns out to be a toxic relationship. Disenchantment happens when your dream job turns out to be a nightmare. Disenchantment is when that child that you prayed for is a shepherd for the devil. <laughs> you know, Just like little baby's kid, and you, and you just don't know. If you can make it all the way to age 18, like, oh my gosh, I prayed for this child, but man... You know, disenchantment happens when you try to break toxic and generational cycles and you get met with hostility from family and friends. And when we get disenchanted, sometimes what we do is we get distant. Okay, so disenchantment can create distance. Sometimes it's because we pray so hard for certain things. And then when it shows up, we don't know how to go back to God and be like, look, I know I pray for this, but um, this ain't it. Like this, this ain't that I'm, I'm displeased. I have buyer's remorse return to sender. And I think one of the best examples of disenchantment in the Bible is John the Baptist. To say that John the Baptist was a holy roller is like a gross understatement. John was that dude, honey, you talking about somebody who was walking on the King's highway. John the Baptist was that guy. He was the forerunner for Jesus. He was his hype man, so to speak. And throughout John's ministry, when he was routinely targeted and jailed for being a follower of Christ, it got to the point where John sent his people to Jesus and asked, look, man, are you the one? Are you the one Messiah? Or should we look for another? Because the way that I thought you was going to come through and, and 
and rule and the way that I thought that you were going to come through and root out corruption, the way that I thought you was going to come through and be king and savior and redeem us all. This ain't that like you, you here, but you not here in the way that I thought that you were going to be. And so I, I, are you the one or do we need to be looking for somebody else? Is there, is there another Messiah coming? Because I don't know about you. Okay. And it just kind of shows how somebody who can be great in the faith, I mean, great in the faith can struggle and it can become disenchanted with the walk, disenchanted with the journey, disenchanted with the work. And then last but not least, there is despair. Despair is the complete absence or loss of hope. Okay. I want to repeat that. Despair is the complete absence or loss of hope and despair is dangerous. Many suicides are carried out as a final manifestation of despair. To be in despair is to be in great pain, to be great in mental and emotional anguish, to be in a very dark place. And not only do you believe it's not going to get better, you don't believe that it can get better. And then you get to a point where you don't even care if it gets better or not because you are just that detached. And the Psalms, so the book of Psalms is full of psalms of actual despair and one of those psalms is psalms 143 which david writes so david king david when i tell you that man he's one of my um our guests next week she she recently said that david is is the most developed character in the bible and i i would i would say yeah (laughs) pretty much he had a lot of life experience and one of those life experiences, he had a lot of enemies. David <laughs> lived a colorful life and he made a lot of enemies. And so in Psalms 143, we see him lamenting over his situation and all the people that are after him and out for his life. And starting with verse four, he says, my spirit is weak within me. My heart is overcome with dismay. I remember the days of old and I meditate on all you have done. I reflect on the work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. I am like parched land before you. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Don't hide your face from me or I will be like those who have gone down to the pit of hell. Let me experience your faithful love in the morning for I trust in you. Reveal to me the way that I should go because I appeal to you. And The psalm goes on and on, but I want to point out some things. He says, my spirit is weak. My heart is overcome. Okay. I think about the things that you used to do, Lord. I think about how you used to show up and the testimonies I used to have. And he's like, where you at? Answer me. Don't leave me out here struggling. Don't leave me out here in these streets. I'm I'm looking for some communication with you. I'm looking for an answer, a flicker, a glimmer, something. Okay, he is in despair and he is desperately calling out to God like, hello, can you hear me? Is is this thing on? Is this microphone working? And what I can tell you is this. God always listens. God always listens and he always answers. And you can find that in Matthew chapter seven. He always listens and he always answers. Now, it may not be the answer you want, (laughs) but he always listens And he always answers. The question is when, right? And it's waiting for the answer that reveals one of the ways of of which you have a relationship with God. Okay. The waiting for that, that answer from God, when you are disappointed, disenchanted, disillusioned and despair will reveal the kind of relationship that you have with God. And if you want to know where you really stand with him, get in the waiting room, get between that place of 
prayer prayed and prayer answered. And that gap in between that gap in the middle will tell you a lot about yourself. It'll tell you a lot about where you are with the Lord. And as we talked about last week, and we talked about those attachment styles, if you are securely attached, now you may suffer, you may be uncomfortable, okay, have those moments of discomfort and, and disappointment with respect to the things that you want and desire. But for the most part, people who are securely attached are like David. Their hearts turn intuitively towards God. God, I mean, of course, we weren't talking about attachment types back in the Bible days, but David reads as a securely attached individual. I don't know what his childhood upbringing was. You know, he was the runt of the litter and maybe overlooked, but when it came to God, he was like, me and you stuck like glue. You, we go together <laughs> like, like peanut butter and jelly. Like ain't no you without me. Ain't no me without you. Like Lord, I'm with you. Okay. So securely attached people will tend to turn towards God. If you are an anxiously attached person, you might turn to God, but you are more likely to re re um, rely on human effort and things that you can see and feel and taste and touch in order to navigate your disappointment or your despair. And if you are an avoidantly attached person, you are likely to try to navigate your disappointment, your disenchantment and your despair solo dolo. Like I got this. It's cool. And you will see these experiences, the disappointment, the disenchantment and what have you as further evidence that you can't rely on people because you never thought that you could to begin with. And you start to believe that, you know, you're on your own, which brings us to first container Christians. So one of the things that I do on Saturday mornings, and I think I've shared this on the podcast is I have been knit together in the bonds of sisterhood with a group of women, five other women. And every Saturday morning at eight o'clock. So that just goes to show how committed we are, right? Every Saturday morning at eight o'clock, we do a deep dive into some book that addresses aspects of our spiritual growth and journey. Right. And one of the books that we read was a book called falling upward by Richard Rohr. And I'll talk more about that in a minute, but that's where I get this, this term from this first container Christian and these two halves of life. And I want to start that conversation with this scripture. So Ephesians uh, chapter one, three through six, which says, praise be to God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us. That means he chose ahead of time. He predestined us for adoption to his sonship through Jesus Christ. In other words, before the foundation of the world, God chose us, pre predestined us to be in an adopted relationship, co-laborers with Christ, okay, through, through Jesus. In accordance to his pleasure and will, Verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves, meaning the love that we experience from God is given through his son, Jesus the Christ. So I start that conversation because what this is basically saying is that theologically and objectively speaking, we are created in union with God from the beginning. And Richard Rohr says that it is very hard for people to believe or experience this when they have no positive sense of identity, no strong boundaries and very little uh, very little inner religious experience. So for the first part of our spiritual journey, it's like about rules and regulations and formulas and these superficial emotions, puppy love, you know, flags and badges and status symbols and, and rituals, right? Bible quotes and special clothing, 
all of which largely substitute for an actual spiritual journey. So what is he talking about here? Basically what he's saying is that the first container of our lives is where we cut our teeth, right? Where we learn about things like rules and order and structure and how the way the world works. And we start dipping our toes into the waters of relationships. And we chase things like money and influence and power and status. And we sit on our high horses and we make judgments about people based on experiences that we haven't even had. In other words, we are spiritually and emotionally immature in the first container, in the first half of our lives. Because for those of you that are, let's say, you know, over 40 or getting close to 40 or what have you, I want you to think about how your perspectives have evolved from when you were a teenager, from when you were in your 20s, and how you, you look at things different. As the young folks say, things hit different now at this age, at this decade, than they did when you were much younger. And I share this perspective because where you are in your relationship with God can also have a lot to do with where you are in your life, period. Experience teaches us that not everything is black and white. Not everything is plain and simple. Sometimes things you said you would never do, never put up with, never tolerate, somehow weave their way into the fabric of your experience. Sometimes you find out that you're not the person that you thought you were. And that things like love and sacrifice come at a steeper price than you are willing to pay. And when you are in your first container of life, you may tend to process hard and difficult experiences through a lens of immaturity or through a lens of entitlement or through a lens of ignorance. And I know that sounded harsh. So let me try to soften this up a little bit. Okay, (laughs) so I I don't want you to think I'm firing shots because I'm not firing shots. Hear me out, please. So let's use this illustration, shall we? Okay, pretend that you are a young child and your dad is being deployed to another country because he's in the military. Now you love your dad. You feel safe when he's around. You laugh and you joke. And then suddenly one day after many hugs and tearful goodbyes, he's gone. Life as you know it has fundamentally changed. And you are constantly being reassured that your father is there, that he loves you, that he misses you, but you can't see him. You cannot interact with or talk with him. You have an idea of where he is, but not really. And you only get to hear from him every now and then. Do you think you would be disappointed? Do you think you would be disillusioned? Some of you have actually experienced this, okay? And as the days turn into weeks and the weeks turn into months, do you think you might fall into despair? At that age of life and at that age, level of maturity you don't understand things like national security you don't understand things like your father has sworn an oath to protect the country that as a soldier he does not get a say in where he is deployed or for how long you want your daddy bottom line life is not fair you see where I'm going with this so depending on where we are in our lives in our growth in our evolution we don't always understand the larger themes that are at play we don't always understand the larger themes that are at work we don't always know what god is up to we don't know what the battle plan is or the strategy is or why the bad thing that's happening now is gonna produce something really amazing later like we don't know all of that okay we don't know all of that while we're in it in in the sauce up to our necks in it into the thick of it as the young people like to say which begs the question are you going to trust God or not? Because the entirety of the relationship hinges on that question. Carl Jung 
a psychologist who actually kind of created this term, the two halves of life. He has this really great quote, which says one cannot live the afternoon of life according to the program of life's morning for what was great in the morning will be of little importance in the evening. And what in the morning was true will at evening become a lie. I'm going to repeat that. One cannot live the afternoon of life according to the program of life's morning for what was great in the morning will be of little importance in the evening and what in the morning was true will at evening become a lie. And this quote, this phrase, this illustration, this thought about the two halves of our lives, Richard Rohr and falling upwards, he uses this to illustrate that as we grow, as we evolve, as we mature, the little child that was angry and hurt and resentful about daddy being deployed now has a new understanding. Me personally, I did not have a relationship with my biological father. I did not lay eyes on that man until he was dead in the casket, which is a long story that I'm sure I've shared on a podcast past, probably on a Believe in Bigger podcast. I, I might have to put that in the show notes. But I didn't have a relationship with him. And I was hurt about that for many, many years. I was hurt about that for many years, for many reasons. And I used to think that God had kept him from me because I was not worthy, because I didn't deserve to have a dad, all the things, right? All this story that I had told myself about, you know, how God had it out for me. Child, when that man died and I finally learned what kind of man he was, all I could say was, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I hate to be tongue in cheek about it. But I realized in that moment and reading the obituary and all the things that God did not keep him from me. He kept me from him. Okay, that man had nothing to offer and my life had nothing to gain through any sort of relationship. But I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know that then. And once the filter of resentment was removed, I could look back with a lens of gratitude and had a better picture of what God was doing. The relationship that we have with God is one that is built on trust. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please him. That is to have a healthy relationship with him. And I want to reiterate, I want to strongly reiterate that nothing is easy about that. Nothing is easy about trusting beyond what your senses are telling you. Nothing is easy about trusting God through disappointment, disenchantment, and despair. But one thing I can say about God is that he has been consistent. He has been consistently unwavering in his love, even when it didn't feel like it was there. Even when I didn't feel like being a Christian or walking on the King's highway, when I strayed, when I wandered, when I doubted, when I questioned, he was right there. So I would like to close this part of the series with an invitation for you to revisit your relationship with God. Where is it? Where is that relationship? Where are you in the evolution of your life? Where are you struggling? Where are you doubting? Where are you trying to go it alone and figure it out on your own? And I just want you to know that wherever you are, he is. Just like the scripture that I started with, I am that I am, he is that he is. Wherever you are, he is. He's not just there where you are, he just is. And just like we talked about sufficiency of enough in the money series, one of God's deepest desires for us is that we come to realize that he too is enough, that he is more than enough. So I will park it right there. And I am so very much looking forward to our guest for the finale of this series, Gail Arthurs Cranbull. She is a minister of the gospel. She is a womanist. She is a dear friend. She is my mentee. 
And she has is a woman who has wrestled with all of the things. And so I am beyond excited to engage these issues, these very weighty and sticky matters with someone who loves God as much as she does, but has also been through hell and high water. And so we will engage all of that next week. If you have any questions, comments, takeaways, hit me up at Dr. Shante says, and I will see you next time.